Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Stocks for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. And also, I want to, for people who are listening, it's fun. It isn't drudgery. It, it can be fun. Find stocks that you're interested in. And uh, one of them is chocolate. <laughs> because I think chocolate is a vitamin. There was one stock that was about new energy and how energy is going to, a different kind of energy is going to help us. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Is it ever too late to start investing? Why should a passion for the creative arts condemn you to starving in a garret? Joining me today to talk about this are David Marie Sharp and actor Diane Chesler. Hello. Hi. Hi there. How are you? Oh, good. Oh, you're so subdued now when we go on to tape. <laughs> you should have heard them before, listeners. You may remember David from episode number 114, where David joined me to talk about his investment workshops at HB Studio, an acting conservatory in New York City, where he teaches performers about their finances. Diane Chesler began her career in her hometown of Chicago, working at the Goodman Illinois Theatre Centre, Marriott Theatre and Pheasant Run. She's appeared in films including Five Flights Up with Morgan Freeman and Diane Keaton, The Cookbook and Homebody, and on TV in Law and Order, The Path and Lipstick Jungle. I only just chose that out of the list because of such a great name. Uh, Diane is one of David's more successful students, so much so that he refers to her as the mogul. What <laughs> impressed you, David, so much about Diane? <laughs> yeah, I would say when Diane first came to meet with me, we did it in person because it was pre-COVID. And it was very clear that she had really reached the point of saying, I want to get my finances in order. I want to take advantage of investing and, and finding ways for this to support the lifestyle that I've been living. She had also done a lot of the pre-work before she got to me, um, meaning that she had sort of figured out her cash flow, her debt situation, her monthly nut, and she knew coming in, this is how much I have to start investing. I'm ready to do this. So she had it was very clear to me that she was going to be determined and was going to really get it done. And in fact, what I do is after I meet with people, I, I send them a hit list of action items that they can work on. And inevitably, within a day or two or a week at most after we would meet, she would I would hear from her and she'd say, yeah, I've got everything ticked off or nearly everything ticked off. So she she really, I think she had reached a point where she really made the decision and that I think came through very clearly to me. And Diane, what it was like, uh, what was it like first meeting David? I think David's being modest. I, I had made the decision years before and I planned to be a, an adult and live in the real world years before. And uh, I really had to muster up courage to see David, but somebody that David and I both know uh, recommended him. And uh, afterwards, uh, meeting David, 
Um, I think I told David, I think I told you too, Phil. I walked out of the interview and onto the street and was uh, emotional after I met him because I felt that it was possible, uh, that I wasn't an idiot, uh, that I waited, but it wasn't hopeless. And I felt it was going to be kind of fun. So what, what was it about your financial situation that you felt you needed help with? Well, I felt that I needed to go into the real world. Eventually, I was going to pop off the planet Earth, and I wanted to put things in order um, that way. And I didn't think that I would uh, work till the day I died. So, I, <laughs> And to tell you the truth, those ideas didn't really occur to me <laughs> till about 10 or 15 years ago. Um, but... Uh, you know, uh, just getting older. and um, But like I said, I had wanted to do this earlier. And um, I guess I was frightened to do it because uh, I had known that people in the real world, and you'll have to explain that to them, Philip, later on, but uh, had done it years before. And uh, I felt kind of foolish and maybe a little stupid. Yeah. I think it's also that thing where people uh, see someone on television or in a film and they immediately think that they're rolling in squillions of dollars, but it's not really that way, is it? No, no, mm. because um, I, uh, you, you said, uh, why do I call myself a workaday actor? Well, I'm mm. not a star. I'm not a name. I just uh, managed to get enough work to keep afloat and to keep me going. And I think that's the way it is for um, many actors, not all, but many. And David, know. is Diane's situation, is it kind of like a common scenario that um, uh, comes through your door? Um, there's a lot of things about it that are, yes. I think one of the things that I have found is that people in the arts and other kinds of freelancers don't fit into any of the formulas that the ordinary people fit into. Right there's this this formula that they can use because they work nine to five, they collect, a, they invest in a four hundred one k, yada yada. They retire at sixty two. None of us fit into that scenario. Diane keeps talking about fear. I think one of the biggest problems that artists face is we're not provided a pathway into this world of investing and figuring out how it can help to support the work that we do. And even though artists, I believe firmly are very adept at it once they understand it, there isn't that pathway available to them coming in. Many artists wait until later in life to start to get their finances in order because they say, oops, we have to start doing this now. Um, so that's not terribly uncommon. And I think there is often a lot of shame associated with that too, of why did I wait until this long in my life? Why didn't I do it when I was younger? But when you're younger, you have so many other things on your mind. You're trying to get your career started. You have a million things. So I always say, look, you're ready now. You're starting now. Look at what's going forward. Don't don't dwell on the past and worry about what you didn't do before because you can't, unless you figure out that time travel thing, you're not going to be able to go back and change it. So let's figure out where we are now and make it work and move and forward. And we've discussed this before, but I think that the way uh, work is moving these days is becoming much more about a gig economy and much more about side hustles and setting yourself up in uh, business. And it's very similar to what it would have been like for someone in the creative arts in the past. So um, I, I think you're both trailblazers in that area and these kind of lessons will apply uh, much more widely in the future. 
I agree. Mm. I agree. And I think, you know, Kel Sapri that the artists are leading the way again, but um, <laughs> we are going to, we are absolutely blazing the trail and, and the others are going to have to catch up with us. And, and also to the point of, I always like to dispel this notion because that artists don't understand it and that we're, we're not educated about it, which is true, but it's, we're not alone in that. Like I, as you know, I, I consult a few days in the Wall Street world with restructurings. You would be shocked at how little those people who are dealing with high finance actually understand about personal investing. It's shocking to me. I mean, so there, there really is, is an educational gap across the boards that I think is important for artists to realize too, because then it makes us feel a little less self-conscious about what we don't know. Diane, you actually, when you were younger, worked at the Chicago Board of Trade, I believe. I think everyone in Chicago must have worked there from the way I've been, when I've been talking to people from Chicago. What was that like? Obviously, it didn't stick as a career path choice. No, 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 no. Um, I started out in the cloakroom, and then a wonderful friend of mine, uh, Bunny Donovan, pulled me out of the cloakroom, and I started to work for, I believe it was Beige Halsey Stewart as a runner, and it was so long ago, I believe a scanner. They even talked to me about possibly being a broker, and I told them that I um, couldn't even entertain that thought because I was going to be leaving for about $168 a job somewhere. But I thought it was theater. I thought it was exciting. I remember walking into the Chicago Board of Trade, the corn pit and soybeans, and I just thought it was insane and exciting and theater. Was there anything that you learned at that time that you've been able to, that stayed with you um, until now to help your investing? (laughs) Obviously not. (laughs) Obviously not. (laughs) You know, uh, no, uh, I took away this, but I always knew this that people have specialties, and people have specialties about money, people have specialties about art, people have specialties. So I, maybe I put that idea in the back of my head when I went to try to get my finances in order. You go to the people who know. I mean, I'm sure people can do it themselves, but um, I think you make a lot less mistakes if you go to the people you know. And I, I saw them really day in and day out doing finance. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And it was important to you that um, he didn't make you feel like an idiot. You referred to that before, but... um I really became emotional. I was outside in the village, West Village, and I was on the street, and I just, first I felt like uh, very emotional, and then I felt like um, an albatross had been lifted off my neck because I felt that uh, I was going to do this. 
after all, I'm the mogul. <laughs> I was just going to say, and then the monster called the mogul was created. Because when, and if you when, believe that, there's a bri- bridge in the no. I want to sell you. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell Phil the genesis of the mogul story, so how that even came to be. So when we looked at what Diane, some, some things that Diane already had in place, decided on some action that she could take to sort of, you know, what she was doing, get better returns, you know, move some things over, which was a burden unto itself, moving some of her investments to other places to make it worthwhile, et cetera, et cetera. But generally, especially when people were first starting out, I encouraged them to have sort of a core portfolio of mutual funds and or sometimes ETFs, because that gives them diversification. They're easy to get into. You can sort of set it and forget it. And it's a really good you know, sort of inroad into the investment world, as well as forming like sort of a core stable, but, you know, let's face it a little bit boring. It's not that interesting to own, you know, a mutual fund to talk about to your friends. Anyway, a couple meetings in Diane became interested in individual stocks and said, you know, I wouldn't mind sort of looking at a few individual (laughs) stocks. And I was like, well, you know, that's not a bad thing to do because we have this core already built. We've done some other things. So, so we talked about some places that she could get ideas for, you know, other stocks to buy, like maybe the, the dividend aristocrats, because we're always with people that are, that have sort of fluctuating income. I always sort of emphasize income producing investments because they could provide a source of income in future, which is, is never a bad thing for people in the arts. Um, so looking at that, and then we kind of went on to Yahoo Finance to sort of discuss some of the criteria that you can look at and the data, like, you know, PE ratio, what that is all about, et cetera, et cetera. And not, you know, a few days later, I get an email saying, oh my gosh, I just spent almost the entire day researching stocks today. (laughs) And I was like, all right, I've created a monster. You're going to be, you know, you do have to do your, your auditions and your other things that you're supposed to be doing. And that is kind of, as I recall, Diane maybe has more color on it, but that's how I recall. We suddenly started going, okay, you're the mogul, you're cornering the market on all these companies, leave a little bit for the rest of us and and have at it. (laughs) But she clearly enjoyed enjoyed it and she was clearly had an aptitude for it. So, uh, and, and also I'll piggyback off of what David said. Uh, when I first started uh, working with David, I was scared to do a lot of things. And then after a while, I, um, when we got together, I took the lead. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I know how to do that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> got it. And he just created a monster because he made it fun. He really did make it fun and possible. And, um, you know, and I think actors are smart. I think they just need to be given the possibility and told what to do. And then they can do it, you know. Because actors and creative people are very resourceful people. Sorry, David, what were you going to say? Absolutely. And creative. And and I I was just going to comment on this sense of, security and comfort that you have, Diane, going forward that you didn't have (laughs) before because you understand what's going on. You have things in place where if an unexpected expense comes up, you're like, oh, I've got that covered. You know, I know what I can do with that or I've, and I know what I've got supporting me, which gives artists a freedom to then focus that energy on the art that they want to create instead of worrying about, okay, how am I going to pay this, this, you know, bill when I don't have everything in order? So what were the kind of stocks that you were researching, Diane? 
Well, David, again, made it uh, interesting. He said, uh, find stocks that you're interested in. Mm. And uh, one of them is chocolate. (laughs) 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 Because I think chocolate is a vitamin. You know, uh, stocks that you're interested in. And there was one stock, not to name certain stocks, but that was about new energy and how energy is going to help, a different kind of energy is going to help us. And just the usual suspects, I guess, but stocks that, like he said, that I liked. A couple of the stocks were from Chicago because I thought I should help Chicago in, you know, and that's really the way I I did it. And um, David suggested a couple and I then took the lead, you know. We also found a way to, you know, because it used to be that in order to buy stocks, you had to buy a big chunk yes, of them. I was going to and, mention that, David. Yeah, mm, go yeah. on. Yeah. And that um, because there was commissions on it. So the, the more shares you bought, the the more the commission got diluted amongst the shares. But now, because most brokers have waived the commission, A, you can buy you know, even one share at a time. But even more importantly, the broker that we had Diane work with would allow you to buy dollar amounts of shares. So you could buy fractional pieces of shares. So she could actually test the water. And again, this is outside of her core, boring, for lack of a better word, mutual fund portfolio and everything else. Outside of that, she could invest, you know, small amounts of money in a lot of different kinds of stock to buy fractional pieces of it. You know, and each month she could go in and which I think she does. Well, she's only supposed to do it once a month, but whether she, you know, I don't know how rampant she is with this, but the, we set it up that, okay, at the beginning of every month, you go in and you buy $10 worth of, you know, some of the shares that you're interested in. And as you can imagine, I'm sure that's gone. <laughs> my little cigar. <laughs> little, yeah, yeah. My little cigar there. You know? uh, yeah. Now the Diane, sorry, I was just going to say, now the Diane's like Gomez Adamans with his uh, ticker tape machine, <laughs> checking his stock prices every day. <laughs> sorry, Diane. I interrupted you. Exactly. You can hear her phone <laughs> alerts going off every five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he made it fun too that we did $5 and $10 and you saw those $5 and $10 grow and it. now I want to do shares, <laughs> corporations. <laughs> and how would, how would you describe your, your kind of research, Diane? I mean, are you, are you actually looking at the numbers or are you just sort of going... No. No, no, I would. He taught me how to look at a company and where to look. And he, he gave me, uh, I, David, I, you can probably help me a little bit on it. Was it on Yahoo Finance or something like that about the different kind of if, if it's good to buy or to sell and the recommendations? The yeah, the recommendations of that and how to, you know, do research on a company. Mm. Mm. And the dividend uh, yields, and dividend, the dividend yields, yields yeah, things like that, yeah. And so I would do that. You know, I I usually wake up my brain in the morning, really early in the morning, and that's how I woke up my brain by looking and reading at things like that. You know, and uh, it became fun. It, it gave me the kind of excitement that I first experienced when I walked on the Chicago Board of Trade. You know, just the electricity in the air and things like that. You know, it was fun. 
And think about Diane, 20 years ago, would you have said, yeah, when I'm waking up, the thing I do to wake up and relax in the morning is look at stock figures. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> and um, how do you track your investments? I mean, you're obviously very interested in what's, um, how they're performing. Um, do you have a way of tracking them and um, basically seeing how everything's going as a whole, you know, between the, the mutual funds and ETFs and, and your own individual stocks? I meet David like once every quarter. And in the meantime, I go onto the websites and I go <laughs> in the very beginning, I said, go get bigger, get bigger, hurry up, get bigger, bigger. But I, I watch them. And during, uh, I think, COVID and all the kind of stuff that happened last year and still now, they don't grow as much. But David, and I knew that too, that there's ups and downs, so you have to ride it out. Hmm. But I watch them. Yep. And I give them some pep talks. Come on, you're going to be a goner if you don't get up there. <laughs> I also encourage um, everybody to, you know, once a quarter to do what I call an assets and liabilities chart, which which is you just list, you know, and, and I do it. I'm an Excel person, so I have it. I usually send people an Excel sheet because you want to keep track of them. And a lot of times when you put little pieces of money in, in a lot of different places, until you really add them all up together, you don't realize how much your portfolio is growing in amount, right? And, you know, the great thing is Diane has, I don't think I've ever seen Diane have anything on the liability side, which is awesome. She's very good at not taking on debt. And you don't have to do it really one, more than once a quarter to really sort of systematically go through and say, this is what the value of all of these assets are. So generally, like she said, we meet once a quarter and she does that right before we meet so that we can then have it to look at and reference and say, oh, look, this one's, this one is now, you know, become, you know, a bigger part of your portfolio. And, you know, we want to maybe want to tweak around a little bit and, and look at where we're directing things. And and you can see the good work you've done too. Although he's chastised me for not looking at reports <laughs> together, you know, the reports, he said, those are important. Diane. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing we just recently started doing was looking at, because this is something that most people in general overlook, but because with artists, we're, we're sort of organizing portfolios in, a, in an income producing way as well, is I've been making her record the income that her different investments are generating. And that's also very surprising because if you don't pay attention to that, like you could see the stock market, you know, values going down, but the amount of money that they're generating is staying the same or going up. And that gives you a very different perspective on what you have. And so we've added that kind of to the mix of things that we're paying attention to is how much income it's generating, because that could be in future a very viable source of income. Have you noticed that, Diane? Has, it, um, has there been sort of a new income stream been revealed to you this way? Yeah, it's paperwork. Nobody likes to do paperwork. And I usually, before I meet David, I wake up at crack of dawn and start doing my paperwork, you know. <laughs> but it really gives you satisfaction. It's almost like doing taxes. You hate to do it, but you do have a gauge of what your year's been like. And, and so it really helps a great deal. It gives you uh, satisfaction and you kind of know where you're at and where you want to go. So I do all that paperwork for David before I meet him. And, and does it feel good to have that, in, that extra income stream? Oh, yeah. I, I'm not using it yet, but someday I will. 
I, I never thought I would. But uh, yeah, needless to say, I probably won't work to the day I die. And it'll be nice to have some money floating around um, and coming <laughs> Floating in. around, I like that. <laughs> hey, if I can just uh, put in a plug for my friends at ShareSite at this point, if you go to <laughs> sharesite.com slash stocks for beginners, you can get four months free on an annual premium plan or you can sign up for a free trial and all this sort of stuff is automated. And you can even plug in your brokerage accounts and it'll track everything, mutual funds, ETFs, stocks and so forth. So I'd highly recommend having a look at that, okay? The best thing as well is it, it gives you benchmarking and it's just really important to see how um, your whole portfolio is performing as opposed to a benchmark like a, um, an S&P 500 fund, for example. So I'm through with the uh, the plugs here. <laughs> what, what I just wanted to ask, there was a couple of lessons that um, I just wanted to go back to in that came up in the course of our discussion, one of which is starting small. And... David, you believe that you can really start with that small amount of money. We can start with $5 here, $10 there, and the importance of that. Absolutely. And there's a lot of benefits to it. Number one, you're not putting so much at risk because there's nothing more terrifying to an artist than to have to put $3,000 into a fund and you see it drop to $2,500 the next day. That's terrifying. But putting $5, $10 in gives you the comfort of going in um, while at the same time giving you the experience of seeing how it works. You know, I always, I, I like to give the um, example of I'm uh, one of those people who takes like an hour to get into a swimming pool. I have to like start and work my, cause I hate to be cold. So I like start at the shallow end and very gladly and everybody, all my friends are always like, oh my gosh, we just get in the deep water. I'm like, I have to take my time. But there are some people that can jump right in. There's value in investing if you're one of those people who's very afraid of it in taking your time and wading in from the shallow end. Are you going to become independently wealthy by putting $10 a month in? No. You're going to need to have more going for you, but that's going to give you the impetus. And I think Diane can attest to this. Once you mm. see how it's working, then you're more eager to say, well, you know what? I can up this to $20 or $50 or, you know, and I'll let Diane kind of weigh in because she actually has experienced that. You know? uh, David said it all. It gave you the confidence to invest a little bit more. And also I want to, for people who are listening, it's fun. It's, it, it isn't drudgery. It, it can be fun. And, and if I can do it, anybody can do it. And it's never too late. And um, that's about it. That would be my advice. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And it's a lot of fun. I like um, quoting some of my other guests. One, one guest said, um, you can't teach passion. And another guest actually pointed out that the, the people that he sees doing well, and again, he's a teacher of uh, financial advice, and he says the people that do the best are the ones that are having fun doing it, not the, not the ones mm -hmm. that are just doing it, so, you know, desperately trying to make money. And it's a big part of it, isn't it? You've got to enjoy it. But Phil, I think that David made it fun, and you make it fun by releasing that kind of, I don't know what you call it, fear embarrassment that you started late and once that is out of the way then you can ha start having fun you know i mean you can do what you need to do you know and i think with artists too artists are very curious people right and finding ways in this sort of world that seems scary to them to follow their curiosity and let that lead them 
in the path that they need to go to makes it fun. And it does become a really fun thing to do. Then there's more chance because they're appeasing their curiosity and they're following the fun that they are going to stick to it and and do well with it. So would you describe um, Diane's portfolio as being like a barbell? You know that concept where you have the solid strength of the ETFs and the mutual funds, and then um, at either end of the barbell is the is where the play money is going into individual stocks. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I kind of look at it, I tend to look at it more as a pyramid than mm-hmm. where the cash being on the bottom, and that's kind of your the ballast of your ship, your emergency cash stash, and then bonds and stock are kind of the next upper levels of the pyramid. And the individual stocks are sort of the peripheral things spinning around the pyramid. Often when people start out, the, it, it is very much like a pyramid shape because cash is probably going to be the bigger part of your portfolio. But as you go on, it starts squaring off, right? Because you reach a limit of how much cash you need to have and you could be beefing up your bonds um, and your stocks. So I would say, you know, Diane's is, is you know, she's she's somewhere in between the, the, the basic pyramid and a little bit more of the squaring off because she's, she's, she's definitely investing. And then she's got a lot of things whirling around that pyramid because she <laughs> likes to, she likes to explore different stuff. And almost every time we talk, she's like, oh, oh yeah, I added a couple more companies to my portfolio. And I'm like, okay, let's look and see what these are now. And, but again, it's, she's not adding these peripheral, what I call peripheral, they're, you know, the, these individual shares of stock to the detriment of the pyramid. She's still, we, we've automated the growth of the pyramid so that that's constantly happening monthly. And the rest of this is just kind of the fun parts. I know what I forgot to say. One of the fun things that David did is that I, and it sounds, I guess, so easy and so obvious, but that I put money into certain things a certain times a month and it goes automatically and I don't even know about it anymore. Do you, And so that it, no, it just grows, you know. And so once all that's set into place, it really takes it takes off yeah and we kind of tweaked with what we were what we were building as this core portfolio we also had a, a um early on you had some retirement investments that that one of the unfortunately i think one of the mistakes it, uh, a mistake is kind of too harsh a word but one of the one of the things that i come across that happens to a lot of artists is when they put money into retirement vehicles like an ira or something like that they're encouraged for whatever reason to put it into a cash investment, which is not over time going to do anything for you. So that was one of the very big hurdles that Diane had to work herself over was we, we realized that she had some retirement accounts that were in certificates of deposit and it's like you're really not getting anything, any bang for your. You're probably losing money over the long term with that because cash just doesn't keep up with inflation. So trying to get that organized was no small feat, which I'll let Diane get into in more detail. But um, you know, those are those are that's not an uncommon thing that I've come across because people feel that that's safe. But it's by being safe, especially in a retirement account, you're actually harming yourself. So. Um, but yeah, Diane, that was well, a heavy lift. <laughs> I, it was. It was during COVID, and it wasn't easy to do. 
That's all I'll say. I can't say any more, but uh, I'm sure that they tried to do their best, the bank, but it wasn't an easy proposition. You would think it would be, but it wasn't. Anyway, that's done. And now they're where the money is where it's supposed to be. But it was in the middle of COVID. So, so you know, I'll give them that. <laughs> and we've seen by moving it, how much oh. better it's doing for her than, and you, you know, you realize quickly, oh boy, you know, it shouldn't have, it didn't need to be sitting in cash any longer than it absolutely had to be, you know. Is there a temptation amongst actors and creative people to invest in entertainment companies, say like Disney, for example? I actually haven't found that. Um, the, the, uh, <laughs> Not interested? It's, it's kind <laughs> of they've seen it. Now. They've seen it from the inside, have they? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, sometimes, yeah, I do hear people, you know, want to, like, the big one, but, I, you know, some of the smaller independent companies, like um, one without, and again, I'm not making a recommendation no, no, by naming this company, Lionsgate Film, a lot of actors are surprised to learn that that is a publicly traded company. And people that really like the films that are produced by something like Lionsgate, that I see people gravitating a little bit more towards. I see because when you own individual stocks as you know as you both know you have a say in voting when things come up for a vote that's where i see artists being really intrigued the most so first they like a company but then suddenly when the company is they're being asked to vote should the company do disclose their their political contributions to us. Yes. Should they invest in green energy? Yes. You know, the things that, that really sort of speak to us as artists who are concerned about the world, that I find tends to overrule, oh, well, I should support the entertainment industry sort of mentality, you know? So Diane, where can listeners see you on the, um, on the silver screen? <laughs> no, silver screen. I just recently uh, played a judge on Law & Order, a wonderful series. It's the old Law & Order, uh, Judge Evelyn Boyle, uh, Boyd. And I did a short film that I think it's going to be um, do well in the festivals called The Cookbook. And then who knows what's going to be down the pike? I'll never know. You know, no one ever knows. But uh, I've been lucky that way. And and your passion is teaching young actors and theatre as well. Yes, I also um, teach at uh, a school called AMDA in New York City. I teach scene study, and uh, it, I feel it's a way of giving back. You know, so shines a good deed in a naughty world. You know, it's a it's a way of uh, making your mark on young artists and helping them not make the same mistake that maybe you have made. I'm hopping. The mogul is hopping. <laughs> I know. I was just going to say, are you going to put the mogul on your IMDb profile? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, I just... I'm, yeah. I can see a movie coming out of this. <laughs> or at least a Netflix series. Exactly, exactly. The David thriving artists take over the world, yes. That's right, the thriving artists. So, David, just tell us a little bit more again. Um, we've, we've discussed this in the previous episode, and we'll put links in as well. But if people want to get in touch with you as well? Yeah, the best bet is to go to my website, which is davidmariesharp.com, and that lists any upcom upcoming teaching engagements that I have going. Um, as you mentioned, I teach at HB Studios, here in Manhattan, I also teach regularly for the Entertainment Community Fund, which is the former Actors Fund. They've just renamed it. And uh, I also have a book out called The Thriving Artist, 
um, which is available through throughout the world on Am Amazon or whatever your local bookstore might be. Um, and it's basically a primer of, you know, in very basic, understandable terms of what how to get started investing and saving and 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 helping build a portfolio that's going to be supportive of the work that you're doing as an author. David and Diane, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank, thank you, you Phil. Phil. See you, David. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Stocks for Beginners. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. 